Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I am officially back home in Boulder. The summer of Nicole is coming to an end. Uh, one of my skirt sports teammates, Jen Allen, said, uh, Welcome home from summer camp. And um, it was funny when she said that, I realized that she nailed it. Um, I actually feel like I was on an adult summer camp adventure for five weeks up in Grand County and Granby where we have a cabin. What this experience did was to shift the way I look at work and life and family. And instead of building my days around work, I built my days around happiness and adventure. And work is part of that equation, but so is my family and my fitness. And it's a really interesting thing to think about. What are you building your days around? Um, I ended each day feeling sort of buzzed, not from being drunk, (laughs) but I'm talking about that little buzz when all of your cells are alive and you're just tired. It's kind of like a feeling of, say, exhausted fulfillment. (laughs) I find it interesting that it took me 46 years, multiple athletic careers, 21 years of marriage, a kid who's six, and a 14-year-old startup business, which I still always and always probably will consider startup, to figure this out. And I still haven't quite nailed it yet, but I'm getting closer, which is really awesome. Uh, Today's guest, Gwen Jorgensen, who is 15 years younger than me and much more accomplished in sport, seems to have realized this already. It's the true value of happiness. And she has set a path in life towards achieving that happiness, not success. Isn't that an interesting concept in itself? The reason I say this is not because of what she says in the interview. I don't like ask her that, but it's it's an impression I get because of how she lights up even through the airwaves because this interview was done through Skype. Um, whenever she talks about anything that is bigger than herself, specifically her journey into motherhood. You see, Gwen Jorgensen is an Olympic gold medalist in the sport of triathlon. She won 17 ITU World Cup titles and a gold medal, all in the span of six short years as a professional triathlete. After the Olympics, and this was in 2016, She entered the New York Marathon for fun and finished in 14th place with a time of 2.41. Pretty fast. Um, After that, she got pregnant and had a baby right around the time that she declared she was going to go after another Olympic spot, but this time in the marathon. 
So you get a sense for who she is. She sets her goals really high and then tells the entire world so she can't hide behind anything. But what's really amazing is that even with all her talent and success, it's so obvious that her true passion is being a mom. So I'm having a little interviewer's remorse because I didn't get to all the topics we could have covered, like the fact that Gwen chose to give up a wildly successful triathlon career right after she won a gold medal, and that she's now training for the 2020 Olympic Marathon with the Bowerman Track Club. We're talking the Nike folks and women like Shalane Flanagan. But the truth is that this chapter of her life is still being written. I mean, she's in it. And many of you didn't know what got her to this point in the first place. So I will be happy and and appreciate what we did cover and look forward to talking to her again in the future, hopefully after the 2020 Olympic marathon. See how it goes for her. Uh, Before we jump into the interview, I want to share a special deal from a very special company. If you are an active woman who cares about fit, comfort, amazing features, and fun, uh, please check out the brand I launched in 2004. The one I mentioned above, my 14-year-old startup. It's called Skirt Sports. We started with the first ever running skirt, but we quickly started making so much more tops, bottoms, amazing sports bras, Uh, just launched our new fall line and new colors and prints and everything. Go to skirtsports.com and check it all out. Um, One of the other really cool things most people don't know is we are possibly the first company to ever put pockets on the sides of legs. We've been doing it since 2005 in our very first gym girl skirt. Um... Everything we make is incredibly cute, and there's so much thought and love that goes into it. Use the code RTWPODCAST15 for 15% off. Say it again, RTWPODCAST15. You can go to the Boulder flagship store on 28th and Pearl, or you can go online, skirtsports.com. Let me know if you need any recommendations. All right, then. Let's go back to the show. You ready to hear from Gwen Jorgensen? I am. Let's bring her on. Um, so just to give our listeners a little bit of framework, we're we're talking to an Olympic gold medalist, folks. How cool is that? <laughs> um, Gwen, you have done so much more, though, than win a gold medal in triathlon. You're like, in my opinion, you're like winning a gold medal in life right now. Oh, thanks. Yeah, life's pretty good right now. You know, I think my, my biggest accomplishment or, or what I'm most proud of is my son Stanley he's just amazing and I have a incredible husband and yeah I mean we just bought our first house last year I feel like I'm a, a real adult <laughs> well I mean buying your first house that that is a major accomplishment let me say oh, it's, it's overwhelming you don't realize how much work it is no totally so you bought a place in Portland that's right yep awesome but you're from Wisconsin I am. My parents actually, my parents are actually just out here this past week. They just left this morning. But yeah, so I think the grandparents on both sides are a little upset because we're so far away. Pat's parents are in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, and my parents are in Wisconsin still. You both have that really fun, um, almost Canadian accent. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, it sounds normal to me, but yep, I have a bag and coach and things like that. Yep, my oh my gosh, out. I absolutely love it. Um, we share just a little bit of fun history. I'm from Chicago and spent quite a few weekends up visiting friends at, uh, you know, University of Wisconsin Madison, but. So I have one little claim to fame, which pales in comparison to yours, which is I won one Ironman in my racing career, and it was Wisconsin. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. That's that's actually the only Ironman I've watched live. I volunteered at it one year when I was going there, and it's just such an incredible race. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um. Well, thank you, but really, you know what's pretty funny is – I think you weren't even in college when I won it, which was in 2004. Oh, yeah. I graduated from high school in 2004. So <laughs> maybe. I, I can't remember. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. But, you know, I mean, what's really cool is you meet a lot of people. One of the great things about being an athlete is to be able to travel the world and experience cultures and all this cool stuff. Um, and you meet a lot of incredible people. And one of the things that I can almost always tell is when people are from the Midwest. I don't know why. Maybe it's our accents. <laughs> uh, it could be. It's also just some kind of um, being kind of like a normal person who a lot of people probably are often like, but you're such a nice and normal person. How can you be that with all the success you've had? So, And that's actually a legit question. So maybe I could ask you about some um, of your experiences growing up and how you were shaped to be the person you are today? Yeah, um, well, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think just the Midwest thing, you know, I always feel like being from the Midwest, a lot of people are, their center is their family and, you know, being home and being with the family and hardworking and, and things like that. And that's exactly what my parents were. You know, they were very hardworking individuals. They didn't have these, you know, multi-million dollar jobs. My dad was a factory worker and my, my mom was a high school choir teacher. And growing up, they just really had great examples of, you know, you get up, you do your work, um, you come home and you spend time with your family. And I think they just were incredible role models for me. And I've always been a somebody who likes to be home. It's hard for me to travel and be away, which as an athlete is um, sometimes difficult, but thankfully I just get to take my family with me now. Stanley and Patrick travel with me, so that makes it a little easier. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, going back to, you mentioned your parents, um, and I know you have, si you have one sibling, right? That's right. Yep. One older sister. Yep. So it's a tight family and you talk about being hardworking. I mean, is this something that they showed you through example or were they, did they sit down and say to you, being a hard worker is a very important thing in life? <laughs> no, they, I mean, they, maybe they had that conversation with me, but I never remember that. It was more just leading by example. You know, my dad would go to work, he'd leave at like 3.30 a.m. so that he could be home in time by the time we got home from school. And, you know, just seeing that sort of thing. And my mom, uh, you know, going going to work and coming home and cooking dinner every night and making sure we had everything we need. We, we were very busy as a family. You know, my sister did basketball and track, and I was in swimming. And then my mom and dad, they also... When we were younger, they said we had to do at least one sport and at least one arts thing. So my sister was playing the 
violin. She actually also played the viola and cello, but she started out when she was younger playing the violin. And when I was little, I wanted to do everything she did. So I played the violin as well. And I remember just growing up, um, as I got more focused into sports and I just realized I enjoy sports more than playing my violin. I remember complaining. I was such a snot every day. I was just like, I don't want to do the violin. And every day my mom said, you just have to do your 30 minutes. Like that's the minimum every day. You need to practice 30 minutes. And I think that really taught me, you know, even if you don't enjoy something, you can put all your effort into it. And, you know, I was actually pretty successful at violin. I was first chair violin and I was in the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, all these sorts of things, even though I didn't enjoy it. And I feel like Catholic came from just those sort of things that my parents taught me at a young age. You know, that is a really cool and interesting concept. The success, even though you didn't enjoy it, because I actually think that's not very common. I mean, I really think, I think most people find success when the things they do create some sort of happiness or fun or good endorphins for them, you know? Yep, yep. And and I think it's good to work hard at things you enjoy. It's actually why I chose to to run instead of do triathlon because I enjoy it more. But I think to really become successful in life, in whatever you choose, you may enjoy 90% of it, but there's always going to be at least, I think, 10% of the job you're doing that you're not going to enjoy and you need to learn to still be able to do that and, you know, execute. It's true. And, and to to maybe add on to that, it's very hard to be a hundred percent amazing and super successful in more than say one thing at a time. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do need to focus on one thing I think to be successful. If you're you can be mediocre at maybe 10 things, but if you focus on one, you could be phenomenal. Well, and let's break that down a little more because let's talk about triathlon because there's three <laughs> things in triathlon. And <laughs> yep. I mean, seriously, are you on top of your game best in the world in all three things at one time ever? Um, you know, it's a it's a balancing act and you know, for in triathlon, we were just trying to do what we needed to do to be successful. So, um, you know, for me, I, I really needed to work hard at swimming. And was I ever going to be an Olympic caliber swimmer? No. But, you know, we learned that I learned how to draft so I could, you know, save some energy in the swim and swim in a pack and, and things like that to be successful at the end. Um, you know, I would say I was never um, a world class, you know, I couldn't go out and make the Olympic team and just swimming. Well, so let's talk about swimming for a minute. I, um, I also grew up swimming, and Tim and I always laugh because we're like, I think when we were in junior high, we probably swam at Schrader together. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that pool? Oh, yeah. we had. I had many, many meets there um, growing up. I loved it. I actually I have like one very vivid memory. I was very type A, I'd say, as a kid, and I remember I would always need to get places super early and my parents once I like was begging them to go to the swimming I was like we can't be late we got to get there and we got there before the doors even opened it was like an hour before the doors opened my parents just (laughs) dropped me at the door they're like see ya we're gonna go get breakfast (laughs) like oh boy (laughs) you are hilarious that is so great um what it's I remember actually those swim meets were harder probably looking back on our parents than us because they had oh, to sit sure. in those so freaking bleachers. Yes. So long. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And I know, when I, I, I used to eat McDonald's beforehand. I mean, that's either, how disgusting it was. 
I know. I remember there's a Culver's across the street, and I always love going there right afterwards and getting ice cream and hamburgers. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so what was your stroke? What was your event? Your stroke? I did long distance freestyle. Oh, so you often, you know, a lot of great swimmers did 50 free, you know, 200 free. Yep. It doesn't yep. ne- necessarily translate to triathlon. A uh, long distance exactly. swimming gave you a little leg up. It did. Yep. I was used to that training, that distance. Um, you know, open water is definitely different than a pool swimming, but I definitely had uh, some carryover. So being kind of your primary sport as a young kid, do you think swimming laid some of the foundation or taught you some things that have carried forward? Oh, a hundred percent. I think, well, first of all, swimming, um, just for triathlon sake, I think swimming is the hardest to learn at an older age. Um, so, you know, that it's very technique based. So I think that's one you kind of have to, you have a leg up if you learn it early on, but you get build such an aerobic capacity in swimming because you're holding your breath. And I also think you just, you just learn to work hard. I mean, even as a young kid, I was getting up at 5am, 6am and going in the pool and, you know, doing work before anyone else was even awake. Oh, so true. I mean, the discipline needed is off the charts. And the boredom of being a distance swimmer, <laughs> staring at the bottom of the pool. I mean, that I, that actually helps, I think, growing up. Yeah, it teaches you how to, you know, I was as a kid, I actually never got bored of it. I liked it, I think, because I was just an introvert. So it was kind of my time. But it definitely forces you to, to focus and to really, you know, it's just you and yourself. You don't have anyone to talk to. It's it's just you going out there and doing the work. It's true. Very true. It's a team sport, but it's it's an individual sport within a team concept. Context. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, did you have any vices when you were young? You seem like kind of like the perfect little kid. Oh, I was just a snot. I mean, I, I think I kind of touched on this, but I, I was, I did not treat my mom nice enough, especially when I was going through puberty. I just, you know, I think... I didn't want to practice my violin and I, everything had to revolve around sport for me. So, you know, if I had a recital that conflicted with a swim practice, it would just be a horrible, horrible day in our house. I would just be a disaster. And, you know, I also had a weird thing. I don't know if this is a vice or not, but I had, my hair had to be perfect when I was younger, like I had these bangs and I would literally, sometimes my mom would like come in my room and wake me up. And I, the first thing I would do when I woke up would say, how's my hair? Do I need to do it? Is it a mess? It's just weird thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is, that's awesome though. That's like a tiny bit OCD. Like these are (laughs) little things though that like these little, um, personality quirks they they yep. give us a little more insight into I don't know maybe it's something you're trying to control right yeah 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 exactly and I definitely am somebody that likes control um <laughs> so yeah who well knows? let's t- tell me more about that um yeah you know I think um I don't know as a athlete it's interesting because I'm very willing to give up control in the sense of um, you know, a coach giving me a plan. Like I always like fully trust them and, and want them to give me the plan. But if I can have control over things, I think then I feel like I'm able to perform better. You know, if I have control over having intent in my work and, and doing things, I just then think I can accomplish more. I don't, I don't know if that makes much sense, but 
No, it does. And I think, you know, it kind of gets into a topic I wanted to talk about with you that maybe we could start with um, uh, a period of your life that was a little bit earlier, which has to do with making decisions. Because you've made a lot of decisions and you make them, I don't know what the right word is, but like very clearly, like I'm doing this Boldly. Yep. Boom. Yeah. And not only do you like, for a lot of people, like when you make goals, you need to tell someone and it makes it real and, and you tell the world yeah. and, then, and then it's real, you know? I mean, yeah, I like to put it out there in the universe and I think it not only holds myself accountable, but it also holds the people around me accountable and, and shows them what I want to do and it shows them why I'm doing what I do. So, you know, um, you know, my coach knows what my goal is, my husband knows, my family knows, everyone knows what the goal is and so a lot of times then it it helps them invest in me and the goal and as well it helps everyone understand maybe some choices I make or, you know, why why I can't go to a family wedding or why I can't do X, Y, or Z because I need to invest my time somewhere else for the goals I set. And that's, I think, so important to create your support network. So many people don't have that or they, yeah. they're constantly insecure about it. Um, you know, when you made, say, some of your early goals in life, I think you at some point quit swimming to focus on track. Is that correct? Yep. yep. I mean, how did you even, how did you make that decision? You know, I, w I wasn't as bold then. Um, you know, I think I had been swimming and I had loved swimming and everyone for years in high school, even people said, you should run. Um, running comes more naturally to you. And I just was stubborn and I'm still stubborn to this day. I actually think stubbornness is a great quality to have as an athlete, but you know, I was very stubborn in my ways and I said, no, you know, I want to swim. I know that I'm not good at this, but I'm going to put my head down and I walked onto the University of Wisconsin-Madison swimming and diving team. I was the worst on the team, but you know, I, I did the work. I was just there every day trying to become better and trying to reach my potential. And I remember my junior year, everyone was training for Big Tens or NCAAs or something and I wasn't good enough to do those meets. So I was on a little bit of a break and I just happened to start running and one thing led to the other and somehow I did a time trial with the, the track coach and he said, do you want to go to a race this weekend? And I was like, sure. And just kind of jumped into it with both feet, which is a little, uh, a little crazy. <laughs> and so was it successful? Um, you know, well, that first, that very first race, I actually thought this is so embarrassing. I did a 1500 and I thought it was a mile and I broke five minutes and I just thought I was the fastest person ever. I was like, this is awesome. Like I broke five minutes in the mile and it took me like a month to realize that a 1500 is not the same thing as a mile. Um, <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. So, but that's know, I, fast anyway. I mean, it's still really, really fast. But yeah, I think, you know, that, so I joined the team. They were like halfway through their outdoor season and I ended up being like one or two people off of making NCAAs that first year. So I did see um, some immediate success there. So as you start to maybe dial in the things in life that you're really naturally good at, right? Yep. We come back to the whole violin playing situation. <laughs> Did you love those things that you were good at? 
Um, you know, well, I didn't. I would say, you know, like growing up, I loved swimming more than running, and I was definitely better at running. So it wasn't necessarily that I loved the things I was good at. Um, I don't know what what my passion for swimming came from when I wasn't very successful. I think it was, you know, that was my thing. No one else in my family swam. No one else even encouraged me to swim. It was just my thing, and I wanted to do it. Um, I think that's super relevant. And uh, of really, you know, I think it doesn't matter how fast you were, if you were breaking records or not, when you have something that you can call your own, oh my gosh, so many people can never find that. And to make it something like swimming, that's like a true gift. I mean, even if you're not the best swimmer, if you're a natural floater and comfortable in the water, like... Think about all those people who walk out on a pool deck to do lap swim and they don't even know, like, well, do I go up to someone in a lane and say something and do a right, certain, yeah. like you can walk on a pool deck, you know exactly what to do and how to do and you're <laughs> super comfortable, right? Yes, uh, just from the years and years of swimming and, you know, you, you swam. So some of those swim meets where it's a thousand people in one lane, like literally at warm ups, like you just learn how to navigate every situation. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. You barely get a warm up in. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you got into, at what point in your life did you get into triathlon? That was, I started triathlon in 2010. It was after I graduated from the university of Wisconsin. Yep. And it w- was your first race memorable? I remember my first race, um, you know, it was, I remember there was Sarah McClarty and Sarah Haskins there. It was down in Claremont, Florida, and it was a race where I could, it was like a special race. So if I placed in a certain position, I could get my pro elite card. And I remember going down and I had been training and it was in, the race was in like March. And so I had been training in Wisconsin inside on like my trainer all winter. And I went down there and raced outside in a pack and I just remember being so scared of riding my bike (laughs) oh yeah and you know not to mention Claremont can still be 100 degrees in March yes yes I don't remember the heat I just remember being thinking oh this is a lot different riding on the roads with people right next to me as opposed to a trainer ride (laughs) well and so were you like glad you weren't aware of how kind of freaky it is to ride in a pack and you were just thrown in or had did you wish you had prepared better yeah I came out of that race more the latter I came out of the race thinking I need to go back and do a lot more work and if I'm gonna do triathlon I need to go back figure out how I can actually prepare for these races. Um, But you did get your pro card at that race, right? That's correct, yep. Which makes you basically a phenom. (laughs) (laughs) There are are very few triathletes that come swinging out of the gates in their first race or in their first season even, like winning big races or like you did, earning a pro card. Um, and then moving on the next year to racing pro, right? Yeah, I mean, in 2011, so I started in 2010, my first race. And in 2011, I placed second at the World Triathlon Series race, which qualified me for the Olympics. So, I mean, I had, it was, you can look at those re- results and be like, that's insane, that's crazy. But you can also look at my first World Triathlon Series race, I didn't finish because I got lapped out like on the bike I was so horrible um 
the front pack lapped me out and um, you get pulled if that happens. So, you know, I definitely had some ups and some downs. And I think when I had the downs, I really went back and it's when I made a lot of changes. I would say, okay, what do I need to improve? And same things when I had a a great race, I go back and say, okay, you know, I I want to continue this. What can I do to continue to get better, better? Well, and the tough thing is, we know this about life, you don't ride the crest of the wave forever. I mean, (laughs) life goes in waves and in cycles. And so it's really crazy because you want to enjoy the moment you're in, especially when you do things like win an Olympic gold medal, you know, and I'm sure you enjoyed that. Actually, I'm going to ask you that in one second, but you know (laughs) that it won't be forever. So how do you... How do you navigate these waves, right? The emotional, um, I guess, forecasting that you're kind of doing. Yeah, you know, I think something my triathlon coach, Jamie Turner, taught me was to really celebrate the success. And, you know, I think the first time I won a world triathlon series race, he sat me down and he said, you know, don't take this for granted. This, you know, this could be the last time this ever happens. And every time it happens, you need to really celebrate it. And I started a tradition after if I want a race, I would always take Jamie, my parents, Pat, whoever was there or sponsors, people who were there that supported me and helped me achieve at that race. I'd like to take them out to dinner and, you know, have a beer and just enjoy some time and relax. And so I, I never took any race for granted, um, because of what Jamie had taught me. And I think that's really important, you know, to take that time and to celebrate that success. But then, you know, when you go back to work and you go back to training to really put the head down and, um, and try again. You know, if you had to, well, let me frame things for our listeners. Um, Gwen is an uh, an Olympic just superstar, not Olympic, but triathlon superstar. Um, you have won, I think, seventeen ITU World Cups, uh, right? Is that right? Uh, uh sure, uh, that sounds Something right. Something like that. Okay, <laughs> yes, somewhere around twenty. I mean, why not? Um, and you only raced pro for maybe seven years, six, seven years. Yeah, seven 11? years ish. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a phenomenal career right there. Boom. You've had tons of incredible results. Um, and you focused mainly on the Olympic distance, which is for the fastest people, maybe somewhere around two hour races, maybe a little faster if they're draft legal, which is what you mostly did, right? That's correct. Yep. Yep. And so now here you go. You've had this seven year career. You're winning, you're winning, you're winning. Did you ever lose? Yes. <laughs> and let's talk about like what happened when you didn't win races. How did you recover and mentally prepare for the next one? Yeah, you know, for me, I always, if I had a race that I wasn't pleased with, I always allowed myself to have 24 hours of being upset. And, you know, it's like you set a timer and once that 24 hours is up, you just move on and For me, things that I really found helpful were I always wrote down before a race um, process goals. So things that I could, things that I wanted to do that were like technique based that I always knew I could accomplish. And going back after a race, if I accomplished those things, it made me feel like, you know what, I am getting something out of this and I'm going to 
just, I know I'm doing the right thing because I'm doing these processes correctly. So eventually it will pay off and I will see um, that investment that I'm making today pay off. So that's how I really stayed motivated through those tough times. Well, and I love the idea of investing and then having faith in the future. Yep. Yep. And in the things you can control, because we talked about control earlier. Yeah, because you can't control the outcome of a race. You can't control what place you get. (laughs) You can't. You cannot control how anyone else is going to do. Exactly. Yep. And that's sometimes a hard thing for people to uh, accept. Yeah, I think, you know, that's. That's why I think, you know, in sport, at least, I think it's really good to have goals that aren't just outcome-based. And I definitely have outcome-based goals. I'm very bold about a lot of outcome-based goals. And, um, you know, I tell people, you know, what I want to do. But I also have these goals that are smaller and that are just process-based, technique-based only I can accomplish them and no one else can take that away from me. You know, I know going into a race, for instance, like a running race, uh, this past one, I, one thing I wanted to do was have a higher cadence and no one can force me to have a different cadence except for myself. So I think it's always good to have those sort of technique based goals. Oh, I love that. Yes. I'm a firm believer in the higher cadence too. Yes. It's very funny. <laughs> Most runners overstride, you know, and and yep. they're running at like 75 or 80 strides per minute, right? Yeah. And, um, and when you decide to make the switch up to 90 or more, it feels bizarre. It's so much harder. Most people just go faster, but that's not the point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, higher cadence is definitely, it's using your aerobic system a little bit more because you're turning your legs over faster, Um Yeah. But one of the hardest things is let's use like 90 strides per minute as a a base level here to run a 10 minute mile at 90 strides per minute. You have to do 10 cycles of 90 in 10 minutes for only a mile. Like that's harder than running a six minute mile at 90 strides (laughs) per minute. So it's a really, really cool technique, um, you know, and skill for people to have to learn their bodies that well. Right. Yep, exactly. And it's always good to have the vocabulary to have a slower cadence and a faster cadence. And I think, you know, the more tools you have in your toolbox, just the the better athlete you can become. Totally. Um, I there's I kind of I want to hit on your Olympic race, but I don't want to talk so much about your racing and even your transition into running that we don't talk about you becoming a mom. And some of the huge life changes that happened after that. So let's hit on your freaking Olympic gold medal race. And the question I want to ask you right now is, was that the best race of your career? Um, I don't know. You know, I, you know, I prepared and knew about that race four years in advance and every thing I did leading up to that race was for that race. Um, and I really felt like when I got to that start line, it was, I was very calm, more calm than I'd ever been. Normally I get nervous. And I think that's just because I felt fully prepared and, you know, I showed up and I really feel like I, I executed okay on the swim. Not great. Um, I felt like that could have been better, but the bike, I felt like I was pretty good and and the run as well. So, um, it, it was a good race. Outcome was definitely amazing. <laughs> the outcome was amazing. and But here's the interesting thing. Right off the bat, you weren't like, yes, best race of my career. I mean, 
the most memorable races usually aren't your best results, right? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, one of the races I feel the best about is one I did in um, Stockholm in 2013, and I just had a phenomenal swim, phenomenal bike, phenomenal run, like everything just clicked, everything went perfectly. Um, you know, in the Olympic race, there was, there was definitely a moment when I got out of the water and the first lap of the bike that I, I was in the danger zone of getting dropped. And so, um, you know, there's things I could have done to, to execute better there. Wow. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool and telling. Um, you know, you seem like just such a student of sport or any task you decide to pursue. I'm definitely entrenched in the details. Um, I think, I read, or maybe Tim was reading about uh, some training you did on the bike to really learn your handling skills. Um, Tim was sponsored by Red Bull back in the day, and I think, yep. was there a connection with one of the Bostrom brothers? Yep, exactly. Yep, Eric. Yep. So, oh my gosh, those guys, amazing. First of all, <laughs> hello. Who wouldn't want to be like trained by Eric Bostrom? Hold um, on to him tight down the, the descents. Yep, on the back of the motorcycle. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So you like hung on back there just to learn the feel? Exactly. They they just kind of like tested my limits and we went beyond what I would ever need to do so that we, when we came back to, you know, what I would need to do on the bike that it would feel more comfortable. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely the coolest thing. Wow. What other really cool things did you do in your training to get you to the point of beyond the limits? Um, you know, we were a big believer, Coach Jamie was a big believer in exceeding the demands of competition in training. Um, and, you know, something that I feel like was so beneficial for me and something that really helped me was training with other athletes. So training with people who, you know, were the best and people who were better than me, just so I could see on a daily basis what I needed to, to become. So after, um, after the Olympics... You, first of all, did something pretty unique. You turned and did a running race for fun, right? Yep. (laughs) But it wasn't just like a 5K. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've I've always wanted to, ever since I ran in college, I felt like I never really reached my potential. And I've always just been intrigued, especially by the marathon, because it's such an iconic Olympic event. And um, I had the opportunity to race a marathon, and um, I just kind of did it. Which marathon? The New York City Marathon. And that is not an easy one. <laughs> it is hilly. I, I didn't know that when I, when I signed up. <laughs> um, had you, uh, you ran a lot on roads and treadmills, I mean, with your, with your triathlon training. You didn't do a lot of soft surfaces, did you? We actually did the majority in triathlon of, of soft surfaces. So that was actually a big, I remember actually wow. my body during the marathon in New York, um, I was halfway through the race, not even, and my body was getting sore, and I'd never in my life experienced that, where in a race, my body was getting sore. Like, normally, you know, the next day or when you finish, you feel sore, but this was like literally every step I took, I just felt my muscles getting sore. It was intense. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I remember this, too. Um, I had never done a standalone marathon before I did an Ironman, and I don't know why it's so different, but... I remember my first marathon and my quads by mile eight. Yeah. I was yep. like, wait, what's happening? Mile eight? Or so 16- much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much harder because in an Ironman, you're so depleted that you can't really 
go your best marathon at the end. So you end up going faster in just a straight up marathon. And that is more fatiguing, I think, on the, the body using that same muscle group. Well, and isn't it funny that you look at it as just a marathon because (laughs) you'd been doing triathlons and, you know, whatever. So I also think there's a little bit of a respect thing when you realize, oh, wow, that was quite, that was quite different than I thought. Yeah. I don't know um, many people either who experience that fatigue and soreness during a race. It's usually a day or even two days later that delayed onset soreness. Oh my God. Yep. (laughs) Totally. So, um, so, but around that time you had another big life changing decision, um, that you had made and you didn't jump right into marathon training after that. Yeah, um, you know, Patrick and I always knew that we wanted to have a family, and we had been talking for years about um, when we want to have a family, and uh, I feel really fortunate that we were able to get pregnant so quickly and, and have baby Stanley. Well, this is, I mean, this is huge, because you are in the prime of your athletic career. Um, your husband, let's talk about Pat for a minute amazing. He's all over your social media. Clearly he is your number one person in all ways. How did you guys teamwork? Yeah. How did you meet? We actually met on a bike ride, which is pretty phenomenal. He used to be a professional cyclist and yeah, we just met on a bike ride. He asked me out to dinner that night and we, uh, I guess the rest is kind of (laughs) history. So, uh, looking good in spandex, huh? Yes, exactly. I, like I mean, <laughs> and a men, men in spandex is not usually like the number one turn on, but <laughs> women in spandex, yeah. That's for true, sure. yep. <laughs> um, and I think I, I read somewhere that y- you weren't at that point the best cyclist yet. Yeah, I wasn't very good. So he, um, yeah, we actually had a mutual friend on the ride and the mutual friend said, hey, Pat, could you give Gwen some tips? Uh, she's just learning how to ride a bike. And so he, you know, it was like an hour and a half long ride of him giving me tips before he asked me out. So he'd kind of swayed me by the end. <laughs> that is so funny. So you guys went out. Did you hit it off right away? Yeah, we had, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was like love at first sight, but we had a, a good first date and, um, he, you know, was back in town the next week and we had another date and it just, we really grew every, every time we went out. How did he make the decision to stop his racing career? I remember I was doing a race in Madrid and he had been back home doing some races and he flew over to, to be there with me at the race in Madrid and I ended up getting fourth and he he sat down, we had dinner afterwards, and I remember him saying, you know, I think you could have done better if I would have been with you this past month helping take care of you, helping you, you know, cook and make sure you have everything you need. And he said, I, I'm not going to fly back home. I'm going to stay here with you. And I was just shocked. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't think, you know, is this a good idea? Are you going to hold this against me in the future? And you need to think this out. And he was just like, it's a done deal. I'm doing it. And, um, yeah, that's when he decided to support me full time. Wow. Did um did he ever resent that decision? No, he never has. And you know, after um the Rio Olympics we sat down again and you know, I said, you know, we both wanted a family, so Stanley was the first um, you know, thing thing that we worked on, but you know, I said, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm I'm ready as like, you know, I, I accomplished what I wanted to. I wanna do running, I wanna do this marathon thing, but if you 
want to pursue something, this is your chance. You tell me and, and we can put all the focus on you. And um, he said, no, he said, you know, he's ready to, to still support me if, if that's what I wanted to do. Wow. You know, I, I actually put a little note out on Facebook and I said, I'm going to interview Gwen at some point. Does anyone have any questions? And there were all kinds of questions that came in. And one of them was from a woman I highly respect. She's been on my podcast. Her name's Sarah Vaughn. Do you know oh, Sarah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Another mile. Or, yeah, another yeah. mile. Yeah, she's a miler. She is a freaking rock star. She's a three-time yep. mama. And she yep. is getting better and faster every year. And she yep. said... I love their non-traditional gender roles in their yeah. family. And she she really pushed that out, you know, to make me think about it in a little different way because, you know, I'm a liberal woman, right? I'm like, hey, anyone <laughs> takes care of anyone, but that's not usually the case. And, you know, there's a lot of ego that people have. And so somehow maybe we just need to give some kudos to your hubby and yeah, to think- you both for making yeah. this work. I think it takes a lot of confidence for Pat to be in the role he's in. You know, there are, you know, he's a full-time stay-at-home dad, which is very not typical. Um, you know, I, I I have taken his married, his name. So my, my legal name is Lemieux, but I still race under Jorgensen. And it's so funny. A lot of times at races, people will say, hello, Mr. Jorgensen. And there's just, you know, things that are very, um, <laughs> you know, not traditional, I guess, or yeah. about our relationship. And, Pat's just always done it and done it with a full heart. And it's just amazing to, to have him as a, as a partner. Oh man, everybody listening is going to be like, who is this Pat. guy and where can <laughs> I get me some of him? Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. We should, do you have t-shirts? I want a Pat. <laughs> um, make them. Yes. <laughs> so, so you guys got pregnant. So one of my first thoughts would be, whoa, you're really thin. Do you even get your period? Like, this is a podcast listened to by many, many women, more women than men. So we talk about a lot of women issues on the show. Um, but it sounds like you didn't have any issues with getting pregnant. Yeah, I'm, I I love talking about this. I actually think, um, you know, getting your period and menstruating is a, is a sign of health. And your body, when you sh- don't get your period, I think it's the first sign of your body shutting down and it's not getting something that it needs. Um, I, I get my period every month. Um, yeah, you know, and Patrick and I got pregnant on the second month of trying. Um, you know, I didn't get my period uh, when I was breastfeeding, but I stopped breastfeeding and got my period three weeks later. So, you know, I think it's something that I always view getting my period. If I miss a period or if it's late, I look back and think, okay, am I too skinny? Like what's going on? What, what nutrients am I missing? I really believe that if you're able to menstruate, um, you'll have better bone health and you'll be able to be in sport longer. I don't think you studied like science and, and physiology. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no. it was like something boring, like accounting or something. <laughs> but um, yes. but you're a student in life and of what you do. So I think like if people ever have questions, you know, you'd be a great resource for women who want to and can't figure it out because you've been there and you're really in tune with yourself. Thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, and I've seen other athletes too, and I've seen athletes who have had problems and sometimes it's with menstruating and sometimes it has been a a career ending thing. It's true. Very true. So one of the things I found when I got pregnant, you know, which was past my racing career, but I still was a very active person and there was very little, little literature on being an 
having an active pregnancy to the point of actually training during pregnancy or, you know, most books were like, um, you know, just walk. What's the big deal? Or, you know, there wasn't a lot of information. Were you able to find more information or did you craft your own? Yeah, there's not a lot of information. And I realize that's because they don't do a lot of studies on pregnant women um, for, for obvious reasons. And, you know, I think there's now some, some more information coming out that it is good to be active. It is good to be healthy. And um, the USOC actually just did a study on working out hard and, you know, and that being okay while you were pregnant. And for me, I just listened to my body and, um, you know, I still did hard workouts, but I realized very quickly that um, my body had a, a limit and there was only so far my body was going to let me push myself. And I still got my heart rate up and, um, you know, I still was pushing myself. It was just a lot slower than it used to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one of the things I remember is it's okay if your heart rate goes up, just pay attention to your body temperature. Like you don't want to exactly. overheat too yep. much. Yep. Yeah, you don't want to overheat. Yep. Yes. And so bring a lot more hydration and <laughs> don't run in the middle of the day. Exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're, uh, the birth. Okay. So we share a little bit of a similar story, except mine went all the way to the C-section at the end, but a couple weeks oh. late, right? Yep. Yep. But you know, and then it got a little hairy at the end there. Yep. To the point of, you know, as you got, when Stanley, when you finally got Stanley out, and, and I know you guys did, had to do the vacuum, right? So you're yep. faced in this, like, in the moment with the decision of, are we doing the vacuum suction thing? Yep. Or yep. am I getting a C-section? Yep. How, how were you even able to make that decision? You know, Patrick was there, and we had always wanted to, I had always wanted to have a vaginal birth, um, you know, um, usually the recovery's faster. Um, and you know, it was just something going in. We, we thought we would do. And basically the doctor said, we have one more shot of trying to do this vaginally and that's the vacuum or we can do C-section. And I said, all right, let's do it. Let's do one more shot. I really, you know, it's another thing of me, I think just being stubborn and being like, yes, I can do this and I'm going to do this. And, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a long recovery afterwards. I ended up having a lot of stitches and the stitching actually fell out and I had to go back in for surgery. But, um, you know, it's it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy I made that decision. Well, in, in, in the end, it's so cliche, but it's so true. You're like, oh, as long as my baby's healthy. Yes, but you, have, you don't even think about it. <laughs> it's true, um, you know, but you did have a few moments there where you were worried when he came out. Yeah. Um, yeah, he came out and, um, I wasn't able to hold him right away. They, you know, took him over right away to, um, do his vitals. His heart rate had dropped. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was very scary in that moment. And I remember we didn't know the sex beforehand. So it was just, I didn't even care. I was like, I don't care if it's a boy or girl, just give me my baby. Like, I want to know they're okay. And finally we heard him, uh, cry. And, and that was a, a big sigh of relief for both of us. Oh my gosh. And isn't it amazing that they know how to like find your nipple and like oh, immediately breastfeed? Yes. It's so weird. I don't know how. It's just insane. It's Biology ev- is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, these early days of having this very newborn, new life, right? New human being. Um, is it a blur? Do you remember those very early days? Um, yeah, you know, the first few weeks of, um, after Stanley, it was just like intense. I remember I actually felt like a horrible mom cause I couldn't 
like walk to the bathroom even like I was in so much pain so I remember I was just breastfeeding him and I felt like my son's only going to think I'm good for milk and nothing else. So it's definitely, I think everyone's recovery from birth is hard, but I, you know, was so thankful I had Patrick to, to really pick up the slack there. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, so here you are today. How old is Stanley? He's almost a year. He's 11 months old. Oh my gosh. And you're done breastfeeding? Yep. I just finished about a month ago. Oh, and you are full on into your next new big, huge venture that you announced to the world not too long ago, which is? Yep. Uh, the marathon. Yeah. My next big goal is a, uh, the next big race, I guess, would be the Olympic trials on February 29th. And then uh, I'm planning on being good enough to make it to the Olympics. So that's that's the, the, the goal I've, I've set out there. And, you know, your training is picking up. You're doing more miles than you ever did, right? Yep, yep. Um, And so what would you say one of the big changes is between being a triathlete versus being a runner, not just in the fact that you're mostly running, but is there a mental shift that had to happen? There was a mental shift, but I think that the biggest change has just been the amount of prehab I've had to do. So, um, you know, just keeping the body healthy when you're doing a single sport and your body's just doing the same motion over and over and over and just, um, you know, trying to prevent those overuse injuries is, is something that's been the, the biggest issue. Well, we're going to send people to your YouTube channel because you have incredible videos on like oh, foot thank health you. and yep. Oh, joint health and all of that cool stuff. Um, And we'll definitely be watching you. I know I will. Huge fan. Um, Really excited to see you, a strong woman, you know, pursuing so many unique things and uh, just not just not being afraid. Yes. I yeah. You know, I think it's good to just put things out there and go after your goals and set, you know, have big risks. And I think that it can lead to a big reward. I love it. Well, if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I would say, um, you know, I've, I've kind of touched on this, but view things as an investment instead of a sacrifice. Oh, I love it. That is awesome, and I've never heard that one before. (laughs) All right, Gwen, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Congrats on everything you've been through in life, and uh, here's to many, many more great successes. Thank you, Nicole. Hey, I'm back. Great episode. My only wish is that we could have talked longer. Um, I want. Here's what I want to know. I want to know... If she already has an inkling of which new sport she'll go after in 2021. Today was pretty amazing. I I love chatting about her background. I can just envision Gwen as a little girl working so hard and pushing her perfectionist mentality to the very edge. Clearly she's talented, but it takes so much more than talent to be the best in the world. Hard work and mental toughness rounded out, and Gwen's got it all. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're still listening, then I assume you did. So please share this episode or any others that gave you a little extra something to think about to help you run your world in a bigger and better way. All right, then, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.